Thank you, worship team, for setting it up for us like that. God is worthy of our worship, and it's just so, so great when we can join together and have fun in worship, that God rejoices in that, that we, that we are rejoicing in him, and he rejoices that we're rejoicing. It's this awesome. Like, it's great. And so I, I thank you guys for that set. Um, before we get into uh, our message today, as you can see, it, it's a prelude to Revelation. So we have three weeks where we're going to be getting ready for the book of Revelation. So we'll be in Daniel 9 today, and we'll have some other passages that we go through. We'll hit Matthew 24 and, and things like that, because we need to have some things to put, put the ideas on. So when we hit Revelation, we start talking about what, what John saw in heaven and how all these things connect these passages of what God spoke in the past, what Jesus said in his ministry, and then what John saw in heaven when Jesus spoke it to him and showed it to him, all of these connect, and we need to kind of see how they work together. So these first three sermons are going to be like setting it up and getting this ready. Uh, there will be a break in between. We're going to have a special guest. Aaron Boyd is going to be with us uh, at the end of these three sermons. Uh, he's going to be talking about world orphans and the ministry they do. He's going to be doing the the worship uh, for us that day. Uh, he is uh, a singer, uh, songwriter. Right now, he is a worship pastor in Northern Ireland, but uh, you probably have heard the song that Chris Tomlin made famous, uh, God of the City. Well, he is the writer of that. He wrote that song while on a mission trip and seeing all that was going on where they were. This song is what came out of their ministry and of that worship. And so he's going to come and share with us the heart that he has for uh, orphans and for the church, how those two ministries uh, work together and how World Orphans uh, uh, ministers. And so you'll have an opportunity to hear about that. So uh, that's kind of where we're going after him. That next week is Revelation chapter one. So get the word out. If you have all those people are like looking around, watching the news and like, it's truly the end times. Just tell them to come, listen to Rob, and I'll just either work them up or I'll just help them be at ease. I don't know which, but we'll, we'll try. <laughs> one of them. Uh, and also, we got uh, a thank you in the mail, and I want to share this with the body. Uh, we have started supporting options for women. Uh, we have a couple of ladies that work at the options site in Stillwater, and they sent a thank you to the church, and I just want to pass it on to you. Uh, it says, Dear Pastor Rob, we are so touched by the recent donation from your church. Thank you for this generosity and all your support. We are seeing conversions from abortion to life. Each one is a miracle, and through God's love and mercy. Thanks for all you do. P.S. We also received beautiful handmade burp cloths from your homeschool group, and another, and another woman made amazing receiving baby blankets. Wow. So this is uh, from Options, just thanking you for how you're ministering with them, and I wanted to share that with you. Will you pray with me, and then we'll get into our passage today. Father, you're so good. And as we look at your word this morning, as we look at what you said to Daniel, it can be confusing. And your angel, when speaking this to Daniel, who wrote this down in the spirit for us, he, he tells us to understand, have understanding. So Holy Spirit, we, we ask that you would bring understanding, that we would be encouraged by this prophetic word that we would understand rightly the times in which we live. 
that we would understand our mission as the church. We would understand your purpose for your chosen people, Israel, that we would see how they all connect. God, it, it can be truly a confusing thing to us, but you see the beginning and end. You dwell outside of time, and all of this has been set by your goodwill. So we ask, God, that you would just reveal your goodwill to us so that we may marvel and be in awe, that we would be encouraged, and that we would be busy doing the work that you have called us to do. And so, God, we just ask that you would teach us during this time, that you would just work through me. I, I pray that it would, as Andre said, come with clarity. And we also pray that it would come with just power by your Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name, Father. Amen. If you have your Bible, we'll be in Daniel chapter 9. And the main part of the text is going to be uh, just the end of the chapter, verses 24 through 27. So if you're going to follow along in your scriptures, Daniel chapter 9. If you need a Bible, there's one in the chair there for you. It's a free gift. If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to take that. And it'll also be on the screen. So if you will, read with, well, follow along as I read, so we're not all reading out loud together. Uh, Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 24, this is what it says. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression and to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring an everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after 62 weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. This is the word of the Lord for us. That is confusing, is it not? If you don't spend time in the prophetic books, if you don't spend time studying these things, it, you're just like, well, I like to read Daniel up to chapter, you know, 7, and then I just kind of move on. I read Revelation up to chapter 3, and then I just kind of move on. Like, it's hard to understand. But as we are seeking the Lord, He wants us to understand. It's in here for a reason. And God shows us through uh, his word, that he is faithful, that he can be trusted, and that everything he decrees will happen just as he said. And so when Jesus comes and he says salvation is found in no one else but through him, and he has to fulfill these things, we can trust it because it is all as the Father has said. He's given us a good testimony. As I am teaching this, I am coming from the perspective, uh, all of these prophetic books and all the things I'll be doing in the prelude and through Revelation. I'm coming from a premillennial perspective. I believe that the prophecy given to us is 
literally to be fulfilled. It will come. It will happen. Uh, there's a couple different ways you can interpret these uh, prophetic books and these passages. I'm not going to get into all of those. They're not outside of biblical scholarship. They're not heretical views. They're just alternate views, but I believe the best interpretation is a literal historical interpretation. And so that's the position I'm going to be coming from. So you might be like, well, I heard it a little different, or I see it a little different. That's okay. Um, the main point is that we should all be encouraged that all that God said will happen, and in the end, Christ will return and put all things right. But as I go through these, I may say some things that you're like, well, you know, you might be scratching your head or whatever. I might see some puzzled looks. That's fine. If you want to talk with me after, we can talk. Um, but I'm just telling you up front, this is where I'm coming from, okay? So if I don't say things that you expect me to say, it's probably because it's not in, in this particular view of, of what I hold. So there, there you are. And what does the bridge hold? Yes, all of them. <laughs> so if you're like, is this the official teaching of the bridge? Well, this is where I stand as pastor, but all three are acceptable uh, as, as the people of God and as we are one. It should not divide us, okay? But here we go into the prophetic books. So starting here, we see Daniel getting this vision, and it, it can be a very confusing thing. In fact, we, we read that Daniel's trying to figure some things out. In Daniel chapter 9, just starting in verses 1 and 2, it says this, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ashuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So Daniel is looking in the books of Jeremiah. He's studying. He's trying to understand what God has said. And, and Daniel, being in exile, he starts to realize, wait, that number is almost up. Like, we're almost done with 70 years. Like, he has been studying and trying to figure out what God has said, trying to, to put his mind to what the Lord has decreed. That should be an encouragement to us. Daniel, searching the scriptures, studying, praying, looking into it. That's what we should be doing. We're not going to understand everything right away. The Spirit's not going to reveal everything to us right away. That's okay. God, in his perfect timing, shows us and reveals to us, and he encourages us. He builds us up. He does what we need done in us to conform us into the image of the Son. He grows us in knowledge and understanding. He moves us forward. So we take this example of Daniel, and we do the same. We, we dive in. We study. We read. We pray. We say, God, give me understanding. And at the proper time, he does that. And we see here that he starts to understand the prophetic utterances of Jeremiah. He's like, wait a minute. He said 70 years, and that's almost up. We're almost at the end of 70. So, so in the next section of verses, Daniel starts praying to God for his people, and so he's, he's praying and praying. And then we read in verses uh, 21 through 23, we read this. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at, at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, 
and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. A couple of things here. One, what does he say to him? You are greatly loved. What an encouragement. Daniel's searching, doesn't understand, but he's praying. He's earnest before the Lord. Lord, here's my heart. I just, I want to know you. I want to know your ways. And the angel shows up and he's saying to Daniel, God is extremely pleased with your heart's posture, with, with your seeking, with your wanting to know, the way you're praying for your people. He says, you are loved. How much more are we loved in Christ Daniel wanting to know God, waiting for the Messiah to come, looking into these glorious things. Like, but we have him. We have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. How much more do, does this resonate? You are greatly loved. God wants us to know. He wants us to have understanding. He doesn't want to keep things hidden from us. But like I said, he does it in the proper time. So here, he's encouraged. It says, Gabriel shows up and he says, I'm going to give you insight and understanding. Now, it says from the first. So when was the first? Well, the first was actually back in chapter 8. In chapter 8, he's praying. And it's actually at a time of a different ruler. So he's at, in chapter 8, it says, In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, then appeared to Daniel Gabriel. So He's under Belshazzar, and he's praying, and Gabriel shows up. And Gabriel says, okay, I'm going to give you some understanding. I'm going to show you some things. And Gabriel shows him this, this vision, and it says this at the end of chapter 8, verse 27. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. He's, he's treasuring this in his heart, and the things he saw, he just does not understand. And he's like, it made me sick. Like, I, I'm on my bed for days. He's like, the angel's like, here, let me show you some things from God. And he's just like, huh, passes out, you know, like too much. And so he's trying to get understanding. He goes back about the king's business, and he's praying, and he's seeking. The time between chapter 8 and Gabriel's first appearance to 9 and Gabriel's second appearance to him, 13 years, 13 years, he's praying and seeking and thinking, what did I see? What, what, like, I don't understand that. God's ways are truly higher than our ways. His thoughts are beyond our thoughts. We don't always understand, but what do we do? Like Daniel, we press in. We press in. We say, God, show me, even if it's 13 years. Show me. Give me understanding. Let me understand what's going on. So here, chapter 9, he starts praying again. He, he's thinking of these people, his people. He understands 70 years is about to come to an end. They're about to be released from captivity. And then Gabriel shows up and says, I'm here to give you understanding. I don't know about you, but if, if the first encounter with Gabriel was like, last time you showed up, I got really sick for days. Like, like I'd be... At first, you know, it's Gabriel, so you're probably just like, oh my gosh, like the angel of the Lord, and you're terrified and all those emotions and everything. And he's like, okay, it's all right. Let me show, share this with you. And then you're probably thinking, but last time you did this, it was so much. It was overwhelming to me. It was things I could not understand, even though you're telling me to understand it. And now I'm carrying this extra weight of, I should understand these things, but I don't. And, 
And Gabriel's like, I will give you clarity. And then we read what I just read at the beginning. And you're like, that's really clear. All right. (laughs) You'll understand it. That's what the Holy Spirit does, though. He brings us understanding. He gives us clarity. So let's look at this. Let's try to make sense of what God is saying because it's going to tie right into the end of all things. Verse 24, he says, Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. So he says, Seventy weeks are determined for the Jews and for Jerusalem. So who's this prophecy about? Who's it about? Is it about the church? Is it about the Gentiles? No, it's about the chosen people. It's about the Jews. We need to keep that in mind because when we get to Revelation, we start talking about the tribulation. It's not about the church. It's about God's chosen people and his covenant with them and what he's doing with them and how he's working through them. One of the things we talked about in the First Corinthians series, Paul says there's three things that everybody should know. And he was talking about spiritual gifts, and then he also talked about God's will for Israel. The third one just left my mind for some reason. Huh? The second coming. Why did that leave my mind? Thank you. Like, that's what we're talking about. So if you're online, just, you know, just don't share that. <laughs> But these are the three things. Paul says, you know, these are the basics. These are the basic three things. And he's talking about God's will for Israel. And that's what this prophecy is about. He's like, Daniel, let me tell you what God has in store for your people, for you, for the chosen people of God. So he, he gives them this. Now, a week, and this is a prophetic week. So the word used here is Shabua. Now, it is a period of seven. So it's not a week in the regular context. So it's not just one regular week as we think. It's a week of weeks or it's a seven. So it's actually seven years is what he's talking about here. So a day for a year. So you have seven years given as, as each week. So he has 70 weeks decreed here. Now, the first time we see this concept and, and this is a real basic way of studying scriptures. When you see a word or you see a concept for the, in scripture, go back and find the first time it was talked about. So you get a little clarity. Let scripture interpret scripture. And where do we see a Shabuah? The first time is in Genesis chapter 29, verses 18 through 28. And this is Jacob, and he wants a wife, and he's going to go work for his wife. And it says, Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Well, Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Oh, isn't that great? (laughs) Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of all the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, 
It was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Then why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Complete the week, it's another seven years. That's Shabuah right there. Jacob did so and completed her week, her Shabuah. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. So we see in the Old Testament this idea of Shabuah, a, a, a week is a year, a day for a year. And so it shows up here. Daniel's familiar with this. He understands that he's not talking about a literal 70 weeks. He's talking about 70 of seven years. So this is 490 years that the angel is talking about. And he says here, he says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. And he says, when that is done, verse 24 actually gives us six things that will be accomplished. So verse 24 actually gives us an end result. So these are the six things that we see. And the first is this, to finish the transgression. They're to finish the transgression. That's Israel's rejection of Messiah. So at the end of the 70 weeks, they are going to receive Messiah. He will be anointed as their Messiah. They will receive him. Their transgression will be full and it will be finished. Number two, it says to make an end to sin. That is why Jesus came, to make an end. It will be finished. All will be accomplished. All will be completed. The third thing he says in verse 24 is that there will be reconciliation for iniquity. Here again, this reconciliation for iniquity is Israel is reconciled. They embrace the Messiah. There's atonement made for them. So this is all pointing to this time of the thousand-year reign. The fourth thing he says is everlasting righteousness is ushered in. So King Jesus and the kingdom is here. It's not already, not yet. It is here at this point. So all will be made right. King Jesus will be on the earth. Number five, it says that you will seal up both vision and prophet. What he means by this is that everything that Christ was to accomplish, everything that was supposed to be done for the chosen people, all of it is done. There is no more vision or prophecy. It's all fulfilled. It is all finished. It's done. We see the completion. He says, so at the end of the 70, this will be part of it, the sealing up of the vision and the prophet, because it will be done. And the last thing, it says, the most holy will be anointed. And this is, I believe, when Jesus is here for a thousand-year reign, you have the new Jerusalem or Zion here, and he is in the temple of the new Jerusalem, and his presence is the anointing. He is present. He has anointed it with his presence. Now, there's a couple different ways people look at the anointing of this, and it really depends on the dates. And there's a decree given to Ezra, and there's a decree given to Nehemiah. And if you go by Ezra's decree, the anointing, they would say comes in probably at Jesus' baptism. This other anointing could be the anointing of Jesus when he comes in on Palm Sunday. But the final anointing would be when his presence is with us. He is here. He is 
in the temple. So all of that may sound confusing. I hope not. But there's different ideas of what does that really mean? But the most holy, the holy of holies, the temple of God, the, the one that from heaven will come down and Jesus will be in it. He will be ministering. He will be here. So it will be, as some think, the temple referred to Ezekiel in chapters 40 through 43, the new temple. So Christ is the anointed one. The anointed one comes and he will enter the city and the temple and it will then be anointed. If the presence of the anointed one brings anointing and you have the Holy One living within you, what does that mean? It means as his people, you're anointed. You're his anointed people. His presence is with you. It's, it's an awesome thing that we who have received him have his presence in us. We have the Spirit of God in us. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit and we have been anointed, anointed by God and anointed for a purpose, anointed to share the gospel. 2 Corinthians uh, 4.7 says, but we have this treasure, that's the gospel, in jars of clay, that's our body, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are anointed, the, the presence of God in us. You're anointed for what? Sharing this gospel truth. And 1 John 2, 20 and 21 says this, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. So we have been anointed by the Holy One. We are anointed with truth and with knowledge, and we share that. So it's just an aside, as Jesus himself anoints the temple at the end of the 70 years because he is there, he is the presence of God there giving it at its anointing, you have his presence with you now. And you are anointed for a purpose, for a good purpose. And so we have this in play here in verse 24, what happens at the end of the 70. So verse 25, we go on and we read this. So know therefore and understand that from the beginning, from, or from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. So he says, understand. The angel says, understand. He's saying Jerusalem will be rebuilt. Israel will become a people again, a nation again. He says the walls of the city will be built. So there's this command that will go forth to rebuild. Nehemiah is the one who gets the command to rebuild the city and the walls. Ezra gets the command to build the temple. So I believe that what the angel is really showing here is that the stopwatch, if you want to talk about it that way, like the time of the, of, the, of the 70 begins when the decree goes to Nehemiah. And so Nehemiah is given this decree to rebuild the walls, and we'll look at that in a minute. But then it says there's a pause, so all of this is happening until Messiah the Prince, the coming of Jesus. So there's this number of weeks that lead up to the coming of the prince. So there's seven weeks, 
And then there's the 62 weeks, which give us a total of 69 weeks. So there, it looks like this. So the seven weeks is 49 years. Seven times seven is 49. So we have 49 years. Then we have the 62 weeks. You multiply that one by seven. So you have the 434 years. You put them together, 69 weeks, 483 years. So there should be 483 of the 490 years completed with the coming of Messiah, which leaves one Shabuah left, one week left, that 70th week. So he says, up into the coming of Messiah, all of these weeks are going from the decree to the coming, the stopwatch starts. At his coming, there's going to be a pause. And so we see this working out. So Daniel's using a different calendar as well because he is looking at a prophetic calendar, one that works on 360 days, not 365 days. So 360 is a prophetic year. So how do we get that number? Well, I'm glad you asked. Out of Revelation uh, 11.2, Revelation 13.5, and Revelation 12.6, all of those chapters, which we'll get into as we study Revelation, they indicate that the 42 months or three and a half years are equal to 1,260 days. And so when we do that math, it, you see that one year is 360 uh, prophetic days. So when did that command go out? When do we start the stopwatch? Well, the command's given in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And this is what we read there. Did I give you that passage? Can you get it really fast? Otherwise, i got to play Bible drill. Nehemiah chapter 2. Sorry. 1 through 6. I might play Bible drill anyway. There we go. In the month of Nisan, in the twelfth and the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid, and I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why, why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to, to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. So Nehemiah is the cupbearer. That's a very prestigious position. Uh, it's also a very dangerous position. You know, they couldn't test the food and wine, you know, scientifically back then. They couldn't, you know, do anything but have someone test it for the king. So Nehemiah would drink the cup or test the food, and then they'd take it to the king, and they would wait, and it's like, okay, he didn't die. Okay, I can eat it, or I can drink. So Nehemiah comes before the king, and he looks sad. And he says, I've never been sad before him before, and, and I'm downcast. And the king's like, what's going on? Why are you sad? And he says, Jerusalem 
is broke down. I want to go back and rebuild it. Like, this is the city of my people, and it's been destroyed. Now, Ezra has already gone back, and the temple is already being rebuilt. Ezra goes back 13 years before Nehemiah with, with people. There's, there's two groups that actually go back before Nehemiah gets to go back with another group to build up the walls. So he's saying this to the king, and here's a neat little thing. It says, and the queen's sitting beside him. I can't say for certain, but this could be Queen Esther. So Artaxerxes is the son of Xerxes, who is the husband of Esther, and she would have still been alive. She could have been alive during this transition. And so he's favorable. He's favorable to Nehemiah. He's like, and I think it's this kind of a little nod there. It's like the queen sitting here. It's like, yeah, you know, here's, here's your Jewish mom. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, you can go back and rebuild. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to say no with her sitting here, you know. So he gives Nehemiah the go-ahead to go back. And so he goes, and it says it was a Nisan. So this is the, uh, the 20th year of Artaxerxes' reign. So by the Julian calendar, that would have been, and this is, where it gets really interesting, very smart people, uh, smarter than myself, have done a lot of this research. They said that would have been March 14th of 445 B.C. So on March 14th of Nisan, the decree would have gone out. And then that would take us 483 years forward. Like if we have to go forward, well, then we're talking about April 6th, 32 A.D. This is when all of this of the coming of the prince and all of this stuff would have to have happened, which also must be in Nisan because we're talking about the Passover with the coming of Jesus. So the years have to line up and the things have to work out correctly. So you have this idea of how it works out. So this formula looks like this. From 445 BC to AD 32, there's 476 years on the Julian calendar. So not 477 years because there's no zero year. So when you get to zero from, from B.C. to A.D., that year, doesn't, there's no zero. So you just skip over it. So now you have 476 years times 365 days, 1,740 days. Now you adjust the difference between March and April. You add six, uh, April 6th, which is when he, we're talking about Nisan in the next time. That's 24 days. So you have to add that, and so and then you have to adjust for the leap years over a period of 476 years, which adds 116 days. This is all very exciting, isn't it? You're just like, great, math. I came to church, and he did math, and he didn't even do it well. And the number of days from March 14th, 445 B.C. to April 6th, uh, A.D. 32, you add those together, you get 173,880 exactly. That's what was told. That's the number of prophetic days that have to go through to the coming of Messiah. And so we see that this lines up perfectly with, with Christ's coming. Now there's different dates. Like I said, there's different dates and people have tried working it. But as I look at the different years in which Jesus could have come and the years that they suggest that he possibly died, 32 is the only one that lines up perfectly with, with the 10th of Nisan and, and these days. So I believe the decree is with Nehemiah. I believe it's fulfilled with the coming of Jesus. So we see Jesus coming on what we celebrate as Palm Sunday, but it's on Sabbat. It's actually Palm Saturday. 
He comes in at the beginning of the week on that Saturday, which is the 10th of Nisan. So we see this fulfillment. April 6, 32 AD, Jesus would have come in to Jerusalem. So we also can narrow it down a little bit if we look at when the John, John the Baptist was preaching. So John the Baptist, it tells us that he started in the 15th year of Tiberius. And so this puts us in August of 28 AD. In Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, just, it says this, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, Caesar, Pont, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Leturia and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Ebeline, I love these names, during the high priesthood of Ananias and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So John comes preaching in that year. And so we, we can say, now narrowing that down, we can say that Jesus started his ministry in this time. So his ministry would have started in the fall of 28 AD. And then he has a three and a half year period of ministry that puts his crucifixion in 32 AD, meaning Jesus would have saw four Passovers during his ministry. The first one in the spring of 29, the second one in 30, the third in 31, and the last one would have been the Passover of his death in 32. So the 173,880 days from the decree that is given here is fulfilled perfectly. It's the day he comes in. It's the day he arrives and they start saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so we see that. And then verse 26 of our, of our passage today, it says, and after the 62 weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and the end shall be war. Desolations are decreed. So Messiah is to come in and be cut off. He's not cut off for himself. He's cut off for Israel. He's cut off for the people. And so the, the angel is showing this to Daniel. There's going to be this time and then the Messiah will come, and then he'll be cut off. So let's really look at that. Did Jesus fulfill perfectly everything he was supposed to do? So we just got done celebrating Easter, and when did that really take place? You know, that question, when was Jesus really crucified? When was all of this stuff taking place? Was he really Good Friday? Is that three days and three nights? Like, can the scriptures be trusted? Yeah, they can be trusted if we put in the work to actually see. The 10th of Nisan is on a Saturday. So that's when the Jews could select a lamb for their Passover sacrifice. And those lambs come from Bethlehem out of the fields. And they bring them in the sheep gate in the back. So the sheep are coming into the city through the back. And Jesus is coming in through the city in the front. The Lamb of God who is from Bethlehem. He comes in on the 10th of Nisan. The Jews are able on that day to pick their Passover lamb. And so Jesus would have spent, just like the lambs, 
three days with the people. When they select their lambs, the lambs are supposed to live in their home for three days. They're supposed to be like family. They're supposed to have them. And they're also supposed to test them, make sure they're without any spot, without any blemish, that they're worthy for the sacrifice to be made. So that means Jesus would have been crucified on a Wednesday. So you can see here that on Saturday, the 10th of Nisan, Jesus would enter Jerusalem. That's the triumphal entry. And then on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, the, the lamb would be tested. Well, what do we see about this um, being crucified? There's a couple of passages. The reason we see on Thursday he has to be crucified on Wednesday is because Thursday it says here it's a high holy day. It's the first day of unleavened bread. So Luke 23, verse 54 uh, I'm not going to spend time so, so we can get through this, but Matthew 27, 62, and 28, 1, and John 19, all three of these speak of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And, and so this is going to take place, and so they don't want the, those being crucified on the cross. They're like, hey, take them down. Tomorrow's a Sabbath. Well, yeah, it's a high Sabbath. It's a holy Sabbath. It always falls on this holiday, on this day. So it can fall any time on their lunar calendar. So it falls on that Thursday. He's got to come down. He's being crucified on Wednesday. He spent three days with them being tested. And then he is crucified on Thursday. Friday, the ladies are going, they're purchasing preparations. They're getting their stuff together. But then they also have a regular Sabbath the next day. So They have to wait. So Sabbath is the next day, and Jesus is resurrected at sundown. So the Jewish days start on sundown to sunup. So if we go through and we look at it, he's crucified on a Wednesday. That night he's in the tomb, Wednesday night. Thursday night he's in the tomb. Friday night he's in the tomb. That's three days. He's in the tomb Thursday, Friday, and Saturday day. That's three days. So Jesus says that the Son of Man in Matthew uh, 16.4 16.4 and Luke 11.29 and Matthew 12.40. And that one, did I give you those? Matthew 12.40, can you put that one up? They all say about the sign of Jonah, but here he says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He is perfectly in the tomb three days and three nights, and he's resurrected on the first of the week. It's, it's just as he said. It's, it's, it's trustworthy. We can look at it and celebrate because it's just as God said. So we see that he fulfills everything that he's supposed to be fulfilling. And so then it says here in 26, then one will come after Messiah is cut off, one will come or his people will come and they will destroy everything. So they're going to wipe out everything. And this idea of flood coming like a flood, it says it shall come like a flood or a dispersion, meaning it's, it's like a washing away. So the end of the city comes, it's, there's a great destruction and the people are dispersed. That's the diaspora. They're, they're, they're pushed out. So under Caesar, they were all pushed out. They were dispersed. So we see it's just as Gabriel's talking about, like this will happen. So the cross to the tribulation is... so. The the cross to the tribulation is the end times of the church age. So during this time, Israel will become hardened and jealous. We see that in Romans chapter 11. I'm trying hard, worship team. I know you got two songs. 
<laughs> it says, lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. So there's a hardening of them. And so during this time period, they're, they're waiting during the church age. We're coming in. The fullness of Gentiles are coming in. There's a pause hitting. And, and so then there's a hardening of Israel. So Daniel and Revelation are not about the church as much as they are truly about Christ and his chosen people, Israel. So there's going to be a rapture in there somewhere. And that rapture will be of the bride. So there's a hardening and a rapture of the bride coming out. The 70th week will have begun, I believe, when the rapture occurs. The tribulation then, also known as Jacob's trouble, is about the Jews accepting Christ as Messiah and coming back to God. So that tribulation is for them. It's that time where they are going to be refined and and see Christ as Messiah. So verse 26, there's talk of a prince who is to come. So the people of the prince who come were the Romans. They were in the spirit of Antichrist. The prince to come is the Antichrist. 1 John 4, 1 through 3, we see this. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of God of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So the spirit of Antichrist, the people have that, but then the Antichrist is coming. He is the prince that will come. So his people are already here. The spirit of the Antichrist is already working, but the Antichrist will come. He will establish a covenant with the many, and that many would be the Jews and those in the region. He's going to broker a peace deal. He will establish a covenant with them. He will be seen as the political Messiah who Jesus predicted in John 5.43 by saying this. He says, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. He is going to come and set up a a, uh, treaty in the region. He will be seen as a political Messiah. They're going to look at the Antichrist and say, this is the guy the one that we wanted Jesus to be back there. This is the guy. He's setting up peace. We're getting our temple back. He's going to establish a covenant. In verse 27, it says, And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for a half of the week he shall put an end to the sacrifice. So he's going to establish a covenant, and that's the beginning. That is the beginning. That's the sign. When you see this covenant signed, that's the beginning of the 70th week. That's the last Shavuot. It started. When he signs that covenant, not the rapture. Some would say, oh, the church will get raptured and it's starting on tribulation. No, it's the signing. So the beginning of the last Shabuah, that last seven years. And this is one that works on a, a worldwide scale. The tribulation itself is going to be worldwide. The, the signing of the treaty, that is what we're looking at for this last week. He's going to allow them to rebuild their temple and then he'll come in and put an end to the sacrifices and offerings at the three-and-a-half-year mark. So I mentioned the rapture. What about the rapture? Just quickly, I'll say this. The rapture will, will occur, but it is not the sign of the tribulation, the signing, again, of the world peace covenant. That is the sign. So I believe the church will be raptured. I believe they will be raptured sometime before Messiah opens the seals of judgment in four. 
So when we get there and it says the lamb takes the scroll and starts breaking the seals, I believe the church, <laughs> I think it's pretty awesome if you think about it this way, the church will actually be there watching him do it. He will be breaking the seals and we will be there. His bride will be with him. Verse 27, it says that in the middle of the week, he, he, he the Antichrist, will put an end to the offerings. So we see in Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 and 16, this is the great abomination of desolation. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So here, even Jesus is saying, this is what Daniel spoke about. When you see this, let, have understanding, be clear. So the Antichrist uh, will be one that the Jews accept. Have you ever thought about why would they accept him? Why would they accept a deal with this man? Why would they allow him to build, the, have the temple rebuilt? And why would they allow him even to come into the temple? Well, I believe the Antichrist will have Jewish background or a Jewish bloodline. So we see in John 5.43, uh, he says, one will come in his name and you'll receive him. Ezekiel 21, verse 25, it says, and though profane wicked prince of Israel, the profane wicked prince of Israel, whose day has come when iniquity shall have its end, when iniquity has its end, when it's put to a final end, Ezekiel's talking about the Antichrist who is the wicked prince of Israel. And then you see in Daniel 11, 36 and 37, it says, and the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself, magnify himself above every God and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers, meaning gods of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or to the one beloved by women. What does that mean? In that day, women were, they would pray that they would be the mother of Messiah, that they would be the one. And he gives no, he, he has no concern for any of this. He shall not pay attention to any other God, for he shall magnify himself above all. I believe he will come with a Jewish lineage and they will accept him because of that. That's the only reason I, I can think of that they would allow him to even come into the temple after it being built. So here we see this mock Christ, this antichrist, doing all that uh, is being spoken of here. So what do we do with this? <laughs> Hopefully you're not stirred up and thinking, oh my goodness, the end's near. Get my, get my you know, sign and I'll start walking around Somerset with my sign. You know. What does this mean? It means that God is in control. He's moving all things to their right end. He hasn't missed a detail. Just as we saw a saying in the song uh, earlier that about God seeing you, seeing your, your situation, your predicaments, your troubles, seeing you, he sees everything. And he says to Daniel, look, I'm bringing it to a perfect ending. And you don't have to worry. Just understand that my will is perfect and good, and these things will be accomplished. And for you, I have a job. For us, the church, he has a job. We are to go and share Christ with people. We are to let them know that, that the end will have its result. It may not be today, may not be tomorrow, but it will come to its perfect conclusion because God is faithful and trustworthy. He did everything just as he said. And so what do we do? We say, while it is today, 
to our neighbors, our loved ones, our friends, our family, while it's still today, come receive the Lord Jesus. He cares for you. He loves you. He will bring you in and give you new life. We, we don't have to worry. We just need to be busy. <laughs> so as we go through these passages and as we see Revelation, uh, I hope that it will stir in you the desire to fulfill the Great Commission. Oh, there's several things I left out because of time, but we got two more weeks to get ready for the big thing. Stand with me and let's pray. Worship team, come on up. Um, as we get to the end, I'm going to say it so Gina doesn't have to be the bad guy. Uh, if you have kids in nursery or whatever, uh, as we're singing these last few songs, I know I'm right at the end of time, but if you can stay and worship, do that with us. But if you have to go, if you need to get your kids, please do that as well. Um, but let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for all that you do. And you're so good. And we just see your hand in everything. So may we be encouraged by that. You've called us. You've given us a salvation. We know it's secure in Jesus. We know that you have anointed us for a great purpose, that purpose of sharing Jesus with the world. And so we want to go forward and just do that. We want to worship you now. You are worthy of worship for all that you have done, how you've set all things in motion, and they, they are just as you said. And we want to celebrate you, and we want to rejoice in you. And Father, we also ask that you just give us boldness and give us all that we need in the Spirit to go out and share Christ and to invite people in so that they too may rejoice with us. Maybe there be a great following from the bridge that, are, that make their place in heaven together singing and rejoicing because we have been faithful and that you have saved them. So God, we just worship now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.